We never sat down to say, this is what we want to do for our future. We want to be here in this square at this particular time, and this square another particular time. We just began, and God brought blessing upon blessing. His voice has been and is one of the best-known voices in Christian radio. Hall of Fame broadcaster Al Sanders will tell us his story today on First Person. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's interview, one that I've looked forward to for many years. After listening today, if you'd like additional information about our weekly program or today's guest, please visit us online at firstpersoninterview.com. Again, that's firstpersoninterview.com. Or connect with us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash firstpersoninterview. Not just as a voice, Al Sanders has been providing innovative leadership in Christian radio for well over 50 years. Programs like Focus on the Family, Insight for Living with Chuck Swindoll, Johnny and Friends, Breakpoint, and many, many others are all due in part to the genius of Al Sanders. Plus, he's been the anchor voice on many of those programs. He's the author of I'm Trying to Number My Days, But I'm Losing Count, which gives you insight into the personality of Al Sanders. He sat down with me recently in his studio in California to talk about his long career, and we began by talking about the first time he was bitten by the radio bug. My first opportunity in radio was in junior high. Um, they were going to produce a special program. We had at that time during World War II some exchange students who had come over from Netherlands, as I recall. And I said, I'd like to produce that program. And I think I was 13. And so we did it. We went down to the radio studio to present it. And uh, then the teacher came to me and said, I have some bad news for you. They like the program, but they don't like the host. <laughs> they said, his voice is not suitable for radio. <laughs> and I'd always wanted to be in radio since, I suppose, seven or eight years of age. That must have been devastating. It was devastating. And so after that, I began reading into a supposed microphone and trying to improve my voice as best I could. <laughs> and uh, that's how I got started. Well, radio in that day, too, was in its golden age, really. It really was. In fact, I had in my room all of the schedules for the different networks at that time. I don't think there was the ABC Blue Network, but we had CBS, Mutual, and uh, NBC. And I knew when all of those programs were coming on. And being in California, uh, we could hear the eastern release of those programs mm -hmm. over KOB Albuquerque or KOA Denver or uh, even WLS, if you were very yeah, fortunate. in Chicago, there wasn't the on-air clutter that there is That's now, right. so those stations carried a long ways, yes, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yeah. They sure did. Did you have someone you emulated? Uh, I liked uh, the some of the big-time announcers in Hollywood, uh, the Niles brothers, Wendell and Ken, um, Harry Von Zell, and people of that ilk, Jimmy Wallington, names that I'm sure are forgotten long ago, but who meant a lot to me as I listened to their style and how they did it. Isn't it interesting how we hear people and then we start to begin to sound like them in, in a sense, right? That's probably not a great idea, but uh, it did help me to try to hone out my own place in, in the field of announcing. Yeah. So you grew up in California. We did, Santa Barbara. In a Christian home? Yes. My father was a volunteer pastor. He also worked for the gas company digging ditches, and he didn't take any money for the from the church, but that was all given to missions. So that was my background. 
And at times I was embarrassed, embarrassed that, first of all, he had to be a pastor, and secondly, that he didn't get any money for it. Hmm. And I decided I didn't want to go into Christian ministry. I wanted to go into show business. And that was my desire until Uncle Sam changed that (laughs) when I was uh, 18. Hmm. So you served during the war? Yes, in the Merchant Marine. All right. And Mm -hmm. where did that take you? Oh, it took us to Japan, the Philippines, uh, over into Bahrain, where we picked up oil, Colombia, New York. But this is during the war? Yes, Places like Japan, the Philippines? Well, just after the oh, war okay. for Japan. Okay, I was going to say, we those were, were pretty we, hot spots. We were on a troop ship uh, carrying uh, five or 10,000 troops to uh, replace those that were already in the Philippines and needed to come home. Tell me you got to be the PA announcer on the ship. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I got to scrub the decks, though. <laughs> <laughs> when did you come to Christ? When did Christ come into your life? And I know growing up in a Christian home, maybe it's not a definable moment. but Well, I think it was a definable moment. Uh, in fact, I shared this uh, just recently uh, at the death of my older brother. I was in his presence when he died just a few weeks ago. Mm. And I shared the fact that I was not really proud of the fact that my brother had gone to a strange place called the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. I thought, what is that? (laughs) And I determined that I was going to live anywhere I wanted to live because I no longer was responsible to my parents. And I didn't want to hurt my father or my mother when we were at home. My crazy brother... He's about three years older than I am. He sent some little cards. They sort of like the size of the uh, Monopoly cards and Mm -hmm. chants and community chests. Get out of jail free. Mm -hmm. These were supplied by the navigators. They were called B-rations. And the verse that hit me between the eyes and which really brought me to the Lord and brought me to the place where I wanted to serve him was 1 Corinthians 10.13. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the testing make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Well, I wanted to escape. I would like to have gone to Biola after I read that, but unfortunately, the commitment at that point to the Merchant Marine still had some time to go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What happened afterwards then? How did you end up in the Midwest, being from California? Well, my wife and I, we met at Biola in a radio studio. And uh, <laughs> that happens, doesn't it? Yes. She <laughs> that's, has lovely, that's how I met my wife. <laughs> she has lovely legs when she plays the organ. And uh, anyway, uh, we determined that we wanted to serve the Lord on the mission field. And particularly, we were interested in the Sudan Interior Mission. Hmm. And they were going to get a facility that uh, Mussolini had built in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. I remember that. You know, yeah. And uh, I guess he spent a whale of a lot of money in putting it up. But that never came through. And so the folks at uh, SIM said, well, why don't you go to WMBI? They had a kind invitation for us to go there and learn more about radio. And then when it opens up in Ethiopia, you can go. It never opened. Hmm. And uh, so... We returned in about uh, two years after service at Moody, which was a great opportunity with some wonderful guys. What did you go to Moody to do, though? Just the radio announcing, mm-hmm. staff announcer. So you were hired as an announcer yes, at WMB. How old were you? I guess I was uh, 
Well, we were. I was married when I was twenty. This was right after that. So I guess huh. I was twenty-one or twenty-two. That's something. See, that's that's what I did at I, age twenty-two. <laughs> I was hired at Moody at WMBF. You wonder how <laughs> that happened. Yeah. Those were great days at Moody. Right. Um, what what era is this? Uh, nineteen forty-nine to nineteen fifty-one. Oh. oh yeah. And uh, some of the great people, uh, Bill Pierce, whom we dearly loved and who is now with the Lord, mm-hmm. and some of the other fellows, Walter Carlson, who oh, was I chief. knew Walter well. I worked with Walter many years. Did you? He was uh, chief announcer. And, of course, other people like, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the lady that did the kids' show. Mm-hmm. Aunt Teresa Aunt Warman. Teresa, mm-hmm. yeah. So we had an opportunity of working together with them. Good afternoon, friends, and welcome once again to another of our transcribed Friday afternoon visits behind the scenes, taking you for intimate glimpses into this interesting land of microphones, turntables, and production clocks to give you late news on various interesting programs to be heard this next week on these stations and also to have you meet personally today's guest. And all taken, of course, from our WMBI family album. Or say, if you have a paper and pencil handy, you might jot down the date Friday, November 17th. Well, that's the night our FM station will be staying on the air till midnight and will feature special programs from 6 to 12 o'clock p.m. with outstanding musical talent and interesting live broadcasts. Yes, a full six hours of pleasurable listening will be yours over WMBI FM, November 17th. Again, it was kind of a golden era yes, it of was. Christian radio, wasn't it, uh, for WMBI in Chicago. Yep. For those outside of Chicago, this is the station run by the Moody Bible Institute, kind of the flagship station of Moody Radio today. And they were just testing out FM at that point. FM was really nothing. But That's right. They were using it in those days just to try it out and put some programs on. It, it didn't fly at first, did it? <laughs> no, it didn't. But then that's true all over the country. Yeah. Now, of course, FM is far more valuable than AM. Mm-hmm. So you were announcing, but were you involved in any of the dramatic productions in those Yes, days? of course, uh, Stories of Great Christians. And uh, I wrote a little dramatic show for Aunt Teresa's uh, kids' thing called uh, Uncle Al's Adventure in Africa. I had no idea what that was. But we did <laughs> Never that. been to Africa? <laughs> no. We did that every Sunday afternoon. She was such a great gal. Huh. Uh, know the legacy of Aunt Teresa yeah. and often walk into that studio, which uh, I'm sure you realize is looks much the same today. Does it really? As it did in that era. Wow. The same wall treatment, the same <laughs> doors, you know, sound lock doors and everything. So that's it's fun. A, it's a marvelous place. Yeah. So any particular stories of great Christians episodes that you recall? Oh, there were, you know, they go all the way from uh, the French lady, Madame Guillon, to um, the great missionaries here in the United States and other missionaries. Uh, Joyce Blackburn at that point was the producer of the Mm -hmm. shows, and um, she taught me how to read poems. I had never known how to read poetry before, and she was the one that gave me a love for poetry. We'll continue talking with Al Sanders about his years in Chicago and beyond, coming up on today's edition of First Person. Next time on First Person, Trace Embry tells his story of God's unmistakable leading. I'm not smart enough to figure this thing out. I guarantee you I'm not. I'm just stupid enough to obey God and let Him take care of the details. Because when you purchase an 86-acre track of land uh, with $200 in a handshake, that, that is God. He's the founder of Shepherd's Hill Academy, reaching out to troubled teens. You'll meet Trace Embry next time on First Person.
My guest on First Person is Al Sanders, a legendary radio voice in Christian radio. You may not recognize the name, but you certainly recognize the <laughs> voice. And that's, that's true of a lot of people through the, through the era of, of radio. Well, it's a privilege to be able to use your voice for the Lord in different radio programs as you have done yourself. Yeah. So you're in Chicago at WMBI. Mm-hmm. You and Margaret are married. Uh, yes. I think your daughter was born when you were in Chicago, right? She was. In fact, uh, we didn't have a car. We couldn't afford a car. I think I was paid $200 a month. You get what, 300 Oh, yeah, three twenty-five <laughs> on a good month. <laughs> so we arranged with the other fellow announcers that whenever it was time for Margaret to go to the hospital, uh, they would stand ready. Just give us a phone call. We'll come. We were 5200 South uh, just by the outer drive. And so the fellow who came down drew that responsibility was the sound effects man, Johnny Mendel. And then the fellow who drew the response to take us home was Bill Pierce and his yeah, right. uh, Studebaker that looked like it was coming and going. <laughs> <laughs> Very snowy day. It was February back in 1950. Most days in February in Chicago were <laughs> snowy. I'll, I'll attest to that. What about after Moody then? My father had just died, and I thought, I need to go back to California, maybe go to the university and study more in radio, and uh, let's make the change and go back. I didn't get a chance to go back into the university. I immediately started at a radio station in Santa Barbara, and that was too good to, to give up. So that's where we landed, at least for a year. And then we received... Two calls. One was from the uh, head of announcing at ABC, Dresser Dahlstead. Hmm. Um, and the other was from a gentleman, and Margaret and I laughed about this for the night, I think, after he called Dr. Samuel H. Sutherland, president of Biola, hmm. asking if we would come back and head up their radio ministry. And, of course, that's what we did. Was the Biola Hour in production then, or did you start that? No, it was in production then through the uh, magnificent ministry of Dr. Louis T. Talbot. Okay. And uh, it was called at that time the Bible Institute Hour. And then, of course, it got down to just simply the Biola Hour. <laughs> and we did that for about 17 years. Uh-huh. You had actually had an office right at Biola? Yes. And produced the program? We did. Mm-hmm. And then I think most people may recognize your name and your voice because of Insight for Living uh, with Chuck Swindoll. That's correct. That was a, one of those uh, turning points in Christian radio, wasn't it? Talk about that experience, that whole, everything that led up to the creation of that. Well, we were living in Florida at the time producing the Day of Discovery television program for Radio Bible Class, which those 15 years were the best 15 years of my life. Hmm. And... Um, we had tapes sent to us from Fullerton of Chuck Swindoll, whom I believe is the greatest preacher alive today. And we thought, this fellow is so good, we got to put him on the radio. Up to then, the programs of Bible teaching were generally by people who wrote out the scripts and then sat in front of a microphone like right. this. And our concept was the fact that he, Chuck, is at his best when he's preaching. And why not just edit that down and release that? It seems like such a 
common sense approach to us now, but it was radical, wasn't it? It was somewhat radical, and several other programs came along, and I think several other programs could have even been made better if they had gone with the original recorded material Mm -hmm. rather than trying to dress it up and read it from a studio. It's completely different in in an isolated studio looking at a microphone than in front of faces in a church. Yeah, that's right. The, The energy... Everything is right there and is exciting to capture. So you had this idea. We had this idea. Uh, nobody else had the idea. So Margaret and I started saving our our money and putting it in a special escrow account so that we could, if nobody else wanted to put him on the air, we would buy the time and put him on the air. We believed in that. But one of our other clients at that time was the Foundation Press they are the publishers of the new yes. American Standard Bible. And I said, well, why not marry the two so that when Chuck began in radio, it was called the new standard for living. I, I was a program director in those days. Oh, really? I recall the original <laughs> idea coming to pick up this program called New Standard <laughs> for Living. Well, uh, you can't miss with Chuck. <laughs> I, I'm sure you have interviewed hundreds of uh, other ministers, but Chuck, in my way of thinking, combines um, – expository preaching along with how to put it into practice in everyday living. Did you have to convince him that your idea was a good one? Yes, he thought I was crazy. (laughs) And then I began to think I was crazy. (laughs) But uh, once it went on the air, and the first day, I guess it was a day or two later, that we started getting mail in the mailbox, and Chuck said, what is this all about? We were surprised that there were so many people out there hungry for the exposition of Scripture. So you syndicated the program right away. Yes. You formed a company. Yes. Ambassador Advertising. No, I had formed that company many years previously. I formed that company about 52 years ago. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, We started by representing Biola. That's how the whole ministry began. And then we represented a couple of other programs. But Chuck was kind enough to allow us to put the program on the air. I think we started with about 18 stations, and uh, that's how it all began. And the response was immediate. Immediate. It's just overwhelming to realize how many people there are out there who are so desperate for the application of the Scriptures, not only the exposition, but the application. What's it like to have birthed an idea like that, and it's still producing fruit today through its ministry? Well, I, I would say it feels like the Apostle Paul who declared, I being in the way the Lord led me. That's really what happened. Same thing with uh, Jim Dobson, Focus on the Family. and mm-hmm. Yeah, we're leaving Johnny out Erickson, so much, aren't we? Yeah. Johnny and Friends. Johnny and Friends. Heard you there for many years. She's next to my wife and our two girls. She's the most wonderful woman in the whole world. Mm-hmm. We love her. Mm-hmm. Well, Al, we've talked a lot about radio today, and uh, I, I hope listeners understand the, the inside baseball kind of conversation <laughs> here today. But I just want you to think over the life that God has given to you. You know, Proverbs sixteen nine says, a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I'm sure you've found that exactly. to be true. Uh, talk to me about what it's meant to serve the Lord the way you have and done the things that you've been able to do. We never sat down to say, this is what we want to do for our future. We want to be here in this square at this particular time, and this square another particular time. We just began, and God brought blessing upon blessing, especially in the development of Ambassador with programs coming to us 
entirely different than the situation is today mm-hmm. when there are so many platforms of listening. So we just were there, and God moved it along one by one. Hmm. Anything through those years that just uh, surprised you or caught you unaware that, I didn't know that's what you wanted, Lord? I suppose the most difficult thing for me and also my wife was when we were about to open up a branch office in Philadelphia. We had a rather large account and a very prosperous account. And uh, then all of a sudden I got hit. I, I don't know whether I had a nervous breakdown. I certainly experienced uh, trauma that I had never seen before and my wife had never seen before. It was about that time I was taking from my doctor some diet pills that certainly put me on the edge, and maybe that's what caused all of this. But that was the question when I was flat on my back to be able to say, Lord, why do you make me lie down in green pastures Mm -hmm. when I could be up and doing something? Mm -hmm. So that was, I would think, the hardest thing for me to go through, and I would think also for my wife, Margaret, to go through. Mm -hmm. We've been married, by the way, Next year will be 65 years. Mm-hmm. So, Congratulations. Thank you. I know how delightful she is to you and to yes, all of us. So exactly. we really appreciate both of you. For the person who's listening, and they have a, a dream, an idea, they feel mm. the Lord wants them, but they don't know how to go about it. Mm. You've been down many roads like that. Uh, I would encourage them, first of all, to get some advice from seasoned travelers who have already been on the road. A lot of people have a dream. And they think that uh, God has blessed them with that dream. Perhaps he has. But there are so many different uh, dimensions of the dream, not the least of which is, how is it going to be funded? How is it going to be made a reality? So before you launch into something, first of all, examine all of the avenues that are necessary to make it happen. And get some good ideas from other people as to, do you really have what it takes? You may have been telling you something, mm-hmm. or somebody may have been telling you that you're the best thing since sliced bread, <laughs> but uh, make sure that it is really the Lord's will as you pray it through. Mm-hmm. Any regrets for how you've spent your life thus far? <laughs> you didn't tell me that was going to come up. <laughs> I don't think so. I, As I said earlier, uh, the thing I enjoyed most was working for Radio Bible Class and a man by the name of Richard DeHaan. Oh, of course. He was just the most wonderful person I've ever worked for. He never told me once, Al, I don't want you to do that on the camera and I don't want that song. He just said, here, you do it. And that relationship, which lasted for 15 years, is the most wonderful experience that I can look back on. That was a gift, wasn't it? It really was. I would have done it whether they paid me or not. (laughs) It was so much fun. Good thing you didn't tell them that. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, what a delight to sit down and talk with Al Sanders. For people like myself who are in radio and announcing specifically, Al has been the gold standard. He's a member of the National Religious Broadcasters Hall of Fame, a well-deserved honor. And we pray for many more years of fruitful ministry for both Al and his wife, Margaret. As we mentioned, the company which Al began in 1959 to help the Biola Hour is thriving today. Ambassador Advertising is under the leadership of daughter Peggy Campbell and son Jim Sanders. Many of the radio programs you enjoy on this station are here due in part to their ministry. 
For more information about Al, please visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. And there are some great photos taken through the years that we'll put on the Facebook page. And we'll put some additional audio files there on Facebook as well. You'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash firstpersoninterview. Next week, you'll meet the founder of Shepherds Hill Academy, a school which reaches out to troubled teenagers. Meet Trace Embry next time on First Person. Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening to First Person. First Person.